Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice podcast where we talk everything agribusiness. This is all part of the Harvest series brought to you by the leaders, innovators of Australian agriculture. From growers, lawyers, accountants, contractors, ag tech CEOs and the chair of grain growers on today's show. Hope you can use the techniques and technologies discussed about on the show to implement into next year's harvest or maybe even this year's to make it that bit better. Tell the crew and your boss to listen in to improve the yield, simplify your operation, or even save you the time out there in the header, tractor, or even picking within horticulture this harvest. So for this episode, we're going down to Victoria to speak with the chair of Australian Grain Growers, Brett Hosking. He joins us to speak about the state of Australian grain growers and what plays an important role leading into harvest, especially for this year. We've tackled the pandemic into the second year of this and hopefully it stays like that and it stays at the very minimum for these border closures and everything that comes into play for this year's harvest. Make sure you listen in and if you do get something out of this series, share it on the podcast, share it on your social media to really help out this podcast. I'm a farmer too and doing this on the side so it'd be great help for myself and the podcast so that we can reach every farmer across Australia and try to get the efficiencies and productivity levels booming. Let's get into it. Brett, how are you going today? Yeah, going well, Jack. Yourself? Really good, especially due to the seasons. Livestock's are up and the grain market's going really good and getting some great prices. Um, and especially perfect to have you on the show as the chair of Grain Growers Australia. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And, and you're right. Look, it's a good time to be in agriculture at the moment. Uh, you know, seeing prices where they are, and you know, we've got our challenges, but um, it's nice to know that we'll get a reward at the end too. 
Yeah, absolutely. After a rough few years, pretty well right across Australia, would you say the grain growers from like 2019, 2018 were battling pretty hard with lack of rain and other variables? Yeah, certainly the uh, East Coast, particularly that New South Wales, Queensland area, they've yep. been through one of the worst droughts that they've that they've probably ever experienced. And, um, you know, and, and to see the resilience out of those communities is incredible. And, um, you know, in a, like one good season last year, touch wood, we'll get there again this year and another good season. And um, just to see the way they've been able to see an opportunity and take advantage of it um, after such a tough run is really incredible. And it's actually inspiring to watch, like you yeah, watch them go out and do what they do. Yeah, definitely. It gives it a smile on the faces of the farmers, especially once that rain does hit and they can actually fill their pockets a bit to replenish what they spent on those years that they battled throughout the drought. But today, mate, for the episode, we'll just get into it to see your connection to agriculture and how it all started for you. Yeah, probably a similar story to a lot of a lot of uh, farmers. Uh, grew up on a, on a farm. Um, you know, and early memories in the shearing shed, sitting on the tractor and, um, you know, and back in those days, it was bags of wheat, you know, into the, yep. into the combine and that sort of thing. And I wonder how they did it. So, in, you know, eight or nine acres in, in one field and having to stop and do it again. But, um, uh, yeah, growing up with that, uh, you know, went away to, to college, went away to uni, uh, got married, came back. And, um, you know, this is where I've been for, oh, I don't know, uh, 25 years now and um raised a family here um still raising a family here uh, yeah and uh yeah just love it um and along the way got a little bit involved um i suppose in um some of the the uh, industry supply chain side of agriculture through um uh victorian farmers federation i had a couple of roles there with grains president and then um vice president of vff uh joined the board of grain growers and and wound up being chair and uh yeah, and, and that's sort of opened my eyes to sort of, you know, it's it's actually really exciting because you, you see farmers, we you know, locally, you know, you're the farmers in your local area and then through VFF, you get to go out into some other communities and meet farmers there and and their stories are not dissimilar, but they're all unique. And yeah. and then you you get to grain growers and you start doing that across the whole country and um, just absolutely love the people uh, in agriculture, I think, um particularly the grains industry, I think we have the best people, we have the best growers and um, they're always fun. They're, um, you know, and they're intelligent, they're smart and and inspiring with what they do. So it's um, they're a great group to be around. Yeah, absolutely. I found speaking on the Harvest Series, they're a very innovative bunch. And even if it's not on the Harvest Series, outside of that, they're looking to do something a little bit different from what's first perceived. So it's really good. And especially as your role, you see like the looking down you can see what actually drives farmers and what's driving the industry forward through adapting new technologies or even the pricing with the canola pricing of late a few farmers have dropped it in to their planning regime their program for this year how do you see your role um, within Australian grain yeah, um, you know, and things like prices, I guess our role is always, and, and I'm loving the canola price at the moment, loving the lentil price at the moment as we've seen tariffs reducing in India. Um, you know, we've got some challenges around barley with, with what's happened in China, but uh, 
you know, we have a we have a real role to advocate to government, um, you know, in a number of ways, helping to identify markets that, that are opportunities for Australian grain, uh, helping to drive that that investment, be it through uh, research and innovation through GRDC. We, you know, we're one of the bodies that, that GRDC come to, uh, you know, I guess represent uh, levy payers on interest to, to GRDC. So we make sure that the growers heard at GRDC level and make sure the investments are right. Um, even be it through some of our, our trade ambassadors and that, just making sure that those guys understand grain, they understand the farmers and they kind of understand the story because the story of how we produce the grain is really important in how um, the end user perceives it. Uh, canola is one really clear example of that in that you know, most of our canola out of Australia goes to the European Union. And the reason they buy Australian canola is because they use it in their biodiesel over there and it has to meet their, their renewable energy directive. Um, so effectively what they're looking for is canola produced with the lowest emissions possible. Now, when we've done the research around that, we've, uh, you know, Australian canola and Australian growers Rank, you know, we're, we're not we're not net zero. We're not not claiming that. But uh, what we are is we're, we're very low emissions producers of canola compared to all of our competitors around the globe. That's given us preferential access into that European market. So making sure our, our ambassadors, those people that the government send over into countries like the EU, making sure they understand that story and can tell it means that we have access to that market. And lo and behold, we're enjoying some incredible canola um, opportunities right here and now. Yeah, absolutely. How do you actually measure the impact? Is that down on the ground level, starting with the farmer? Or how can we actually measure those? Yeah, like, first and foremost, for us at Grain Growers, are the growers themselves. Um, yeah. They're in the name of our organisation. So, you know, we're, we're different to a lot of organisations like NFF, for instance. Um, you know, NFF do a great job, but their members aren't growers. Their members are other yeah. organisations and the growers are members of that. Our members are growers. So when I stand in front of, uh, you know, the Ag Minister or the Trade Minister or, or the Prime Minister, then I'm, I'm effectively one step removed from the grower. I'm a grower myself and the person giving me the information, you know, telling me their story are growers themselves too. So it's real and it's personal and, and we can kind of relate those true stories and I think our policymakers, they respect that too um, mm. uh, and that's really important. So you know, all of what we do, though, is worthless unless we're, we're hearing the stories um, of, of what a difference it's making on the farm. Um, the canola example is a really good one of um, just, you know, how good advocacy and how good uh, communication telling that story of the growers to, can open up a market in the EU. Um, we've done a lot of work, you know, to see the, the tariffs reduced in, in lentils in into India. We're really working hard on chickpeas as well, just making sure that story's told, making sure that um, the Indian people understand that, you know, it's, there's a lot of opportunities for, for um, food coming out of Australia. We're, we're really unique in our geography here in Australia. If you think about all of the countries that surround us around, there are all a lot of those Asian countries, big population, small land mass. So, you know, a lot of those countries wake up every morning thinking about food security. We don't do that in Australia. We actually are the opposite. We probably are a bit lazy thinking about things like that. And that's because we produce more than we'll ever eat. But we've got a responsibility, but we've also got an opportunity to make sure that those countries can feel secure having us on their doorstep and having us as a preferential trade partner because we can ensure that they don't have to worry, wake up in the morning and worry about food security as well. So there's a real story to tell um, and we're getting there and we're getting better at it. Um, but, you know, we, we get better at it when growers tell us their stories as well. Absolutely. It's pretty interesting, like 
yeah, we don't really think about where our food's coming from. We know there will be something on the shelf the next day and how other countries are the role reversal to that, trying to find out where they're going to get their sources of protein from and their fiber. So pretty cool to be working in that sort of end of it, um, Brett, and to see like storytelling plays a huge role and the standards that Australian farmers hold themselves against also is the foundations of this really going well for them. How about farmers collecting their data and ensuring like this through different platforms that allows us to tell this story without that data backing it up? Yeah, we're starting to see more demand for that data, um, which is, is really interesting. And farmers, are, I think grain farmers are very good at, at sharing it amongst themselves. We always become a little bit cynical when we start to share it um, outside of our grower community. Uh, yeah. I think that's something we've got to learn to be better at. And um and also identifying what data matters and what data doesn't matter, I think is one of the challenges. We're seeing technology playing a huge role in, um, in agriculture at the moment. In fact, I've heard it anecdotally said, couldn't tell you for sure it's true, but anecdotally they say the biggest holder of agricultural data in the world is John Deere. Um, that's because every time somebody buys a machine, it, it communicates back to the factory and, and it helps their machines operate better. But, you know, what you're actually telling John Deere, what crop you're planting, what your yield is, what your sowing rates are, what your chemical fertiliser, all of that is as well. Um, now, I'm sure they use that information for good, not evil, but, uh, you know, we need to get very good at saying, well, if we're happy to share it there, maybe we should be happy to share it with their customers as well. You know, maybe we should hold it as a, as a badge of pride and say, hey, this is what we do to make sure that you have clean, safe and healthy food to make sure that when, when you have a, a, you know, a bowl of porridge in the morning or when you put that in front of your kids, um, that, that they don't have to worry about whether this is going to be harmful to them. In fact, they can enjoy the nutritional benefits. They can make sure they've got the energy to, to face the day and, um, and you know, grow big and strong and healthy. So, you know, we've got a good story like that. So I think the data is going to help us tell that story. But we've, I think that's maybe a challenge. For, it's a challenge for me personally. I think it's a challenge for a lot of growers is that we've got to get comfortable sharing it with, um, with others and, and see the... Uh, see the overall benefit for the industry rather than think, oh, somebody might take advantage of me if I share too much. So, Yeah, well, um, I, th I think that comes back to the podcast. I'm trying to improve that transparency and how quick people can access the different tools or the different techniques. There's a lot of technology out there, but I think one farmer's techniques of how he runs his operation could probably help you a bit more than spending 20 grand on tech that you don't quite know yet and you haven't adapted to. So yeah, there's a long way to go there, but I think it is working and farmers are looking to tell their own stories. You see this with the variating, whether it be their lentils we've had on the show or their grains, flowers, however it may be, that storytelling is really starting to shine through. But for this episode, let's get into what we all want to talk about. It's this harvest season. How's it shaping up across the country and even the region where you're from? Yeah, in, in my immediate area, it's looking uh, pretty exciting at the moment. Uh, yep. We know we, we had a really dry autumn. Um, in fact, we were really worried about the season, sort of even at the start of June. We had a really wet winter and really mild weather. That got the crops up and growing. And then we hit that another dry patch, um, which culminated in a, in a bit of rain coming uh, the end of September and kind of saved us, I suppose. Um, you know, I'm hearing a few reports of a little bit of frost damage around in places, but it's minor from what I've heard. Um, there's even a bit of hail damage not far from us uh, about a, three weeks ago. Um, again, they were isolated with hail, but 
you know, we're looking all right. Uh, going south of us into the Wimmera in Victoria is looking good. Uh, there are some patches in northwest Victoria that have done it a bit tough. Um, there's always those patches that, you know, patches in South Australia I've heard have done it a bit tough. But I think overall we're, we're shaping up for, I reckon we might even knock a few records on the head this year, which is pretty exciting. Um, headers are rolling in, in Queensland and it started in northern New South Wales in the last week or two. WA, north, northern parts of WA, the headers are rolling. What we're hearing, the reports are that yields are quite good, um, in, in many cases better than expected, uh, and the quality is outstanding this year, um, which is really good. Uh, it, it's a testament to the growers and what they've invested in the crops. Um, you know, and even when you think about the start, some of those guys had like up through that um, Gundawindi area and that they had floods at the start of the year, um, you know, roll right down through New South Wales. A lot of a lot of it was underwater, which is ironic given a couple of years ago it was the worst drought ever. Yeah. Um, that's Australia for you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, cyclones in WA um, and yet, you know, the resilience of the growers to just get out, put the crop in, do everything right and produce, you know, above average yields is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And getting it to harvest season with the crop still standing is pretty beneficial as well. For 21 and 22 harvest season, what do you see the biggest challenges are? We had a bit of a glut in getting some labour in, some people, casual seasonal roles in there. How do you see this playing out and do you see it's people are still affected? Yeah, I think with the labour one, I think most growers I talk to are kind of at the point now, well, you know, I've made my plans for harvest and, um, you know, yeah. I might be short, but I've, I've made plans to compensate. Um, it has been a big issue and it, it will continue to play out as an issue. Um, but I, I think kind of growers are at the point now, well, it's too late to do anything about it. I've made my plans, made my decision. Uh, I think as we move into harvest, COVID is still a challenge. Um, reports we're hearing from Northern New South Wales is of trucks being held up on the Queensland border, you know, and they're trying to cross the border into those feedlots into Port of Brisbane, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and I heard one grower I was talking to just a day or two ago, um, he said normally his truck would be two, doing two runs a day. Um, instead, of he's only getting one because it's spending an hour at checkpoints going crossing borders. So COVID's still going to be a challenge. If it hits a receival point or something like that, just what that'll mean, whether it gets shut down, whether we can find workarounds. Um, it's something we're in constant conversation with the bulk handlers. We've constant conversation with the state government. We've, and one of the challenges we have is that every state's different and the rules seem to change on a whim. <laughs> so, which is good. We're getting to that point that we're starting to open up and ease up. So that's positive. But um, remembering what the rules are this week compared to what they were last week, I think is doing all our heads in at the moment. So, you know, if we can get this harvest off really smoothly, um, you know, I think we've got a lot of learnings about how we cope with um, uh, outside pressures um, as well. The other one that's a, well, not really a sleeper anymore, I think is going to be inputs for next year. We know they're going to be expensive. We know global shipping rates are high. So whether it be fertiliser, whether it be fuel, whether it be ag chemicals, um, all of them are going to either be high or going to be hard to get. So um, we're encouraging growers and have been for a, a while now, just talk to your agros, talk to your you know, fertiliser dealer, talk to your fuel supplier, let them know as far in advance what you're likely to be wanting, what you're likely to be needing. Um, I know with my agro, I sent him a, a, a paddock plan subject to change, I suppose you'd yeah. say, um, but I sent it to him back in August, just sort of saying, this is what I'm planning on sowing. 
I want to, I want you to make sure I've got fertilizer, I've got chemical, I've got seed for everything I might need. Um, you know, and by doing that, I've kind of thrown, you know, the burden onto him a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, Nutrient elders, all of them have said, we're happy to carry the product, but we just want to know that we've got a market for it. So, you know, if the growers tell them what they're going to need, they'll go out and purchase as much of the chemical they need or as much of the fertilizer as they need, but they just want to be sure, assured they're going to get a market given where pricing is. And that's probably fair and reasonable too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with all this going on, we're going to be getting a good price for our grain that's coming off. And hopefully it is all a bit of a smooth transition and we can, those little barriers, I'm sure they'll start to reduce as we get through the later stages of COVID. But for farmers earlier in the year, there's a bit of a scare with what happened in China and with our barley. Is this something that farmers should still be wary of or should they be looking for new markets coming into next year's planting season? Yeah, uh... I guess um, China's had an impact, without a doubt. Um, we know it's around about that forty to fifty dollar per ton, uh, you know, loss. I suppose to our our, um, our feed barley, possibly even higher to malt barley. Um, and if nothing else, they're a really reliable trading partner. We know they've got a lot of hungry mouths and um, a big demand, big appetite for grain. Um, being one of our biggest wheat export destinations in the last twelve months, um, so they're still a good trading partner. Uh, but, you know, that loss of that market has meant that we've, we've suddenly sent a heap of barley into countries like Saudi Arabia, which is great. They can take it, but it's sitting on a boat for longer. It's travelling further and we know with rising shipping costs, there's a cost to that as well. We've um, opened up new malt barley opportunities in, in countries like Mexico. Um, a lot of work being done around Africa as well at the moment. Uh, and again, they're great opportunities and it's great to open those doors. But what we also know is that, again, same thing, it has to travel a little bit further to malt barley to get there. And um, whilst they're good markets, uh, you know, having China back would be wonderful. Um, we also know this is hurt, these tariffs are hurting China. They're having to pay a little bit more for, for grain as well to replace the Australian grain. So we're all losing. Um, you know, we, we love, I guess, China are one of those close neighbouring countries of ours, and we'd love to be back trading with them for both our benefit, for you know, for us and for them, and, you know, restore some of that relationship. So, you know, we're probably working really closely with government and imploring government to, to work hard on that relationship, but uh, it doesn't look like coming back in a while. I think growers are adapting. I think uh, growers are probably, we're seeing a bigger canola planting um, in this season and we'll probably see the same next season. And I think those, that canola is replacing barley. Uh, we're seeing with you know tariffs reduced on things like lentils, those who can grow crops like lentils or chickpeas might decide to pull a little bit of barley out and a little bit more um, pulses to replace that and take advantage of markets there. Uh, Barley won't disappear, I don't think, from the Australian grains landscape, though. Um, you know, we still have a big malt demand, you know, uh, around about seven, 800,000 uh, tonnes of malt barley demand here in Australia every year. Um, we still have some export opportunities. We've got a massive uh, dairy industry, a massive domestic feedlot industry. They all love barley. Um, so there's still a lot of opportunities for barley here in Australia. It's just China's taken a little bit of the, the shine away. Yeah, and it just comes back to that resilience and adapting to the things that we can't change and just working with what we can change and what we can work with as a farmer on the ground. But there's a lot, there's been a lot of talk about getting that $100 million goal at the farm gate by 2030. 
grain growers in their position, how are grain growers improving their production levels or optimizing what they're currently working with? Yeah, it's um, it, it's an it's a good target that hundred million dollar goal. Um, and it's pretty exciting. There's agri business has set one of three hundred million, you know, uh, as well for um, you know, for all the the sort of side industries that benefit from the uh, you know supply chain, the input providers, and all that, you know, to kind of widen the goal even more and make it more exciting. Um, grains industry is going to be pivotal pivotal in that. Um, you know, we're a, sort of around about a thirteen to fifteen billion dollar a year industry in the last um, few years. Uh, what we're seeing at the moment. Uh, this year, uh, you know, coming off the back, sorry, of last season's harvest, looking at, at this season's harvest and the prices where they are, I think we'll we'll probably be in the 20s in, in $20 billion um, production level, which is really exciting. It means that grains is playing its part, but it's on the back of good market opportunities and good weather conditions yep. and that. So we know in Australia when we have a wet year, we're, we're going to get a dry year as well. Um, someone told me once, if you farm for 10 years, you've seen everything. You, uh, and it's probably true. Um, yep. uh, you know, and that's just how, how diverse the Australian climate is and what farmers face. But farmers, grain farmers in particular, they're getting better at managing it. Um, you know, we're, we're getting better at, at saving our out-of-season rainfall um, with the way we manage our soil, the way we manage our, our weed burden and that sort of thing, um, the way we can retain cover on the on the paddock. Uh, we're getting better at adapting our inputs as the crop's growing, so applying nitrogen when we see an opportunity, holding back the nitrogen when, when weather conditions aren't ideal. Uh, we're even seeing, you know, I guess plant breeding and, and you know, growing techniques, um, the use of minimal disturbance of soil with disc seeders and that. We're seeing better yields and better opportunities. So I think when we hit the tough years, we're more resilient. Um, we, we can still produce. Uh, one of the big challenges we'll have, and again, another one we have little control of is markets. But I think getting out there and making sure, you know, as we talked about earlier, stories told, making sure um, those representing us overseas understand grain farming, understand our industry and understand just how great it is. Um, and we've got a good story to tell. And that's really important in those markets. And also that assurance for our, our country's nearest and dearest, you know, closest neighbours, making sure that we can help them feel safe about food security and that, then um, I think we've got a real opportunity to build partnerships and um, and really keep our markets, uh, you know, as high as they possibly can be um, and as, as kind to our, our industry as they possibly can be. And at the same time, think about our growing techniques to make them better. So grains is going to play a big big role without a doubt um, in the $100 million goal. But um, we need all of our industries, all all of our agricultural industries. So we need to make sure that, you know, as grain farmers, we're producing hay and we're producing grain to keep our dairy going and thriving, keep our feedlots going, keep our, our sheep producers going, our chicken meat, all of that piggeries, a whole lot that, that in, relies on um, on other parts of the agricultural, um, I guess, network to, to thrive. And so I think we can do it. Um, but it's, it's pretty exciting as we edge closer, though, just to say. Definitely. And I see, like, as consumer tastes sort of change and, you can definitely get a few alternative proteins out of the grain industry with your lentils and how that's picking up and how people are using them literally for different recipes and how people perceive their own health and what's going on. But for farmers and their own health, technologies and techniques that are changing the game, how are grain growers improving their outlook by implementing the mildest technique or even new technologies to improve our outlook? 
Yeah, like I, I sort of, um, you know, think back on my farming career and I think one of the biggest game changers for us, um, you know, I actually think it was um, GPS guidance in our, in our machines and um, yeah. because I think it gave us the ability to to push the boundaries of our no-till and um, and our disc seeders and all of these opportunities to to be doing things that we couldn't do, be more efficient with our inputs and that. Um, we've seen that technology evolve from the little shirt tear that I remember having with a tiny little, you know, uh, four-inch by four-inch screen um, back when we first started. And, um, you know, now we're up to quite sophisticated, uh, you know, guidance systems that, um, you know, will... We'll, you know, you could leave a coffee cup in the in the paddock, and you could make sure every time misses it as your seeder goes over almost to that um, yeah. level of technology now. And I think we're going to see that technology take us a step further. I actually think, um, and I've heard a lot a lot of talk lately around um, some of the the robotic technology. Um, <clears throat> you know, so the, the sprayers that just work twenty four hours a day that go backwards and forwards over your paddock with you know, you just set and forget almost um, uh, technology. And I'm hearing a lot of growers talking about that as though, you know, it's something they're considering. They're thinking about how it would apply to their own farm. And I reckon I've heard that discussion probably more in the last six to 12 months than I have previously, which sort of makes me think that, um, you know, in five years' time, 10 years' time, we're going to start to see a lot of this technology actually on farms. You know, I might be looking out my window watching whether to, you know the, the robot sprayers working or not and um coming with that we're going to see improvements in the way we manage our, our land too um you know growers are really professional but you know what when when the wind picks up and you've got 300 liters left in an 8,000 liter spray tank you think i just want to get it out so you just do that extra two or three minutes to get it done um when probably you shouldn't whereas some of these technologies with onboard weather station if the weather conditions say they stop they stop you know, and when you think about what that'll do to drift management, um, you know, to the precision application of, of um, chemicals and fertilisers, that's really, um, really important and, and I guess helps us edge closer to that. Um, again, reduction of input costs, but also um, getting better at what we do, making sure that um, there's less opportunity for error and that sort of thing in our farming. We're maybe re removing a little bit of the human element, which is not great for our, our rural communities, but... Um, in doing so, we're actually making sure our consumer can can enjoy a much safer and, um, you know, I guess healthier product at the end of the day too. Absolutely. And I reckon with these sort of technologies, there's a lot of hidden value in what you can get out of them with that reducing the spray drift and not over, over spraying your paddocks just because you want to get that extra 100 or 300 litres out without wasting it. Uh, but it's a pretty exciting space to watch over the next five to 10 years as all farmers sort of adapt and adopt onto it. But for farmers, we've had a pretty rough drought for those in the Eastern seaboard over the last five years, what can grain farmers sort of take away from that and learn and put it into their 22 season? Yeah, I think, um, I think when I think about some of those ones that, that had that really tough drought period, I think the one thing that, uh, and it's a story I hear consistently, is the importance of local communities, um, you know, looking out for each other. You know, we're, <clears throat> we're in a pretty isolating, uh, isolated industry. We work alone a lot. Um, you know, we, we often, often could go a week without bumping into a neighbour or, or something like that. So um, making sure that we stay in touch and um, we communicate with each other, we keep an eye out for each other, but making sure that, that we can support the, you know, that, 
that core of our local community, whether it be the, the footy club, the church, the you know, services club, making sure all of those things are, are functioning and healthy um, so that when we do hit tough years, they're there to help support the community and help um, hold the community together. I think that's been really important in those, in those drought years and they're the communities that have probably done better are the ones that do, did have that strong core heading into it. Um, and it's something that government can't help with. Um, yeah. You know, it has to be a community decision. Um, you know, governments by nature of what they do will look for efficiency and that means pulling services out of small communities. Um, you know, so it's really up to the people in those communities to help support and build that, that central core. Um, we, the other thing we need to need to remember and need to learn is that we are getting better. So when we will face it, the next drought, it will be tough without a doubt, um, and it'll be painful. But we know that we will have all of the skills and all of the tools and all of the technologies to maybe just produce a little bit more than we did the drought before, um, to be a little bit more efficient in what we do in, in the drought before. And hopefully, you know, as we start to get better, um, you know, then then the droughts will. They'll still hurt without a doubt, but hopefully they won't hurt as much. Um, the one thing that I still think there's a role for is this multi-peril crop insurance to make sure that, um, you know, growers can handle a little bit more of that risk themselves and have a way to help manage it. Um, you know, things like FMDs and instant asset write-offs have been great, but I, I reckon that maybe is the missing tool just to help growers be that little bit more resilient. You know, for young guys wanting to expand, it just gives them that little bit of a, a security blanket um, underneath to, to sort of say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest big, I'm going to take a big risk, but if I fail, I'm not going to fail and go out completely. I'm, I'm actually going to fail with the, with the opportunity to rebuild. And, um, and that's pretty important if we want to encourage innovation and young people to get involved in agriculture. Absolutely. That's probably warrants an episode itself. And especially for those younger farmers, agriculture as a whole probably can't afford to lose them in one season. So yeah, pretty important to think about that insurance and how it can really cover your backside when planting your crop or even throughout the industries of livestock or whatnot. It's really important as well. But Brett, thanks for coming on the show. Before you go, what's a one piece of farm's advice that you would have for a farmer heading into this year's harvest? Uh, plan early. And um, uh, I, I guess for, for me, whenever I head into any harvest, one thing I do sit down and try and do um, is have a bit of a marketing plan because, and I think this year it's going to be really important because there's some big numbers out there and they're exciting numbers. And it's easy to say, take the cash, take the cash, take the cash. Um, that won't necessarily, you know, it, it's looking like being a big cash year, but that's not necessarily the best plan. So have a plan, stick to it. And if you're going to change it, change it with um, all the advice that you can get, um, you know, to support you. Because we're busy, we're thinking about a million things when when harvesters flat out, and um, yeah. and you know, having that support around marketing decisions is really important. Yeah, definitely, great piece of advice there. So for yourself, what sort of crops did you have in at home for this year? Yeah, our mainstay, probably like most growers in Australia, wheat is number one, barley's number two. Uh, we've got a bit of canola in, which is exciting given the price wasn't where it is now when we sowed it. So that's pretty good. Uh, same with a fair few lentils. So, um, and again, that's another one that's really taken off while it's been in the ground, which um, which is good. The canola and the lentils have got lots of love this year. Um, and we've just managed to get our veg hay, veg hay bailed and um, in the shed. So we, that's all good and tucked away. Um, safely which is always a relief it's always a big ordeal a hay job so um 
they're the main crops for us. And we do have a few oats. Um, I'm a porridge yeah. lover, so I want to make sure that, um, uh, you know, there's, we're not going to have a porridge shortage um, coming up next year. Absolutely. Well, thanks for all the effort that you do. And I suppose your role as chair of Grain Growers Australia makes it pretty busy to juggle that amongst farming. Um, juggling the podcast is enough, but I can't imagine being in charge of all the grain growers within your board. But, mate, thanks for coming on. Before you go, who else would you like to hear on the Farms Vice podcast and why? Uh, look, there's uh, probably a few people spring to mind. Um, you know, John Woods would be someone who's good, the chair of GRDC, um, you know, uh, grower himself and um, flat out on a header at the moment as well. But, um, yeah, you know, he's got an interesting story to tell and to understand that um, whole uh, research and development piece from their end. Um, another person I've really enjoyed uh, hearing a bit from um, was uh, a grower in WA, Ash Weiss, who um, uh, has his own quinoa business um, and or been partnered with some neighbours and, um, you know, really interesting story of how that started up um, and what he did. An accountant who's come back onto the farm and um, and seen some opportunities to diversify. Um, so he'd be another good one, I'd reckon, as well. Yeah, beautiful. I think I've heard of them um, with the quinoa for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, great recommendations. For anyone looking to get in touch with yourself or even grain growers, how can they do so? Yeah, um, by all means, uh, a direct line at Grain Growers, um, which is 1800 620 519. Otherwise, we're on all of the social media platforms. Um, the team do a great job of you know keeping up the Twitter, keeping up the Facebook, keeping up the, the LinkedIn and all those sorts of things. Um, so if you just search up Grain Growers in that, um, I'm on Twitter myself, um, not great at it, but I, I have a bit of a go <laughs> with, with young kids. They, they keep me on my toes and um, uh, my handle on that is uh, Hosking Brett. So um, by all means, search me up. Um, and look, I'm, I'm always, um, I love hearing from growers, always love hearing their stories. And, um, you know, I, one of the best parts, I don't think I'd do this job if I didn't get out to, um, you know, meet growers and hear their stories and hear about their lives, their businesses, their families and all of that. And um, my fondest memories are, are sitting in the, you know, the, the senior sits hall in Menangatang here, you know, on a freezing cold night that hall's even colder than outside. And, um, you know, but just hearing the stories of what's going on in local communities and things like that. And um, so, you know, I'm always looking for the opportunity to chat with growers. So um, love it. Absolutely. Well, that's what we're all here for. And before you go, Brett will be on a, podcast coming up around the corner a six series six episode series can you tell us a little bit about this before you go yeah so we we put together a state of the industry report for the grains industry just looking back on the past five years and um, yep. you know highs and lows of that and you know how the industry's evolved and changed um you know, so it's a big macro level sort of looking down on all of the numbers and data and all of that and seeing what story that tells what that doesn't tell is the story of what happened on the farms in that period. So we put together a six-part podcast series to, to coincide with that, where we meet um, we meet some of the industry players. I think David Littleproud gets a bit of a, a gig on there. Um, got to have the ag minister and look after him. Uh, you know, we also get um, but you know different uh, farm. I guess suppliers, some seed breeders and that sort of thing. But most of all, and what I loved was the growers. Um, you know, we've got some brilliant growers just telling their story about how they um, think about markets, how the impact of the China tariffs we talked about uh, earlier, just how that impacted them at the time and how that made the, you know, change their thinking and their planning and those sort of stories. Um, you know, we've got a, a grower from WA, Bob Nixon, who's a, a 
great guy and a great grower and um, he's talking about how he's starting to think about managing carbon and his carbon footprint on farm and that sort of thing and um, you know managing that alongside the economics of running a farm and all of that and um, it was inspiring to listen to. Um, we've got uh, Megan Gooding who's also a partner in uh, that quinoa business and she's telling a bit of that story as well. So. Um, you know, there's a whole diversity of growers and industry people, you know, to, that people can hear about and hear the real stories that, that sort of sit behind the numbers in the report, um, which kind of brings it to life a bit in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And a perfect way to hear a podcast on the go as a farmer. Great stuff. I'll be tuning in. Um, so make sure you tune in as a listener as well. Beautiful. Thanks for listening to episode seven of the Harvest Series and for Brett for coming on the show and sharing this year's harvest experiences with grain growers right across Australia. If you've got something out of this episode, please share it or even give us a cheeky five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help us get a better yield for your podcast each week. Until next Tuesday, for next harvest episode, keep on farming. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.